listening to First Church Charlotte. Turn with me if you have your your Bible, 2 Kings chapter number 5. We will have the text on the screen. I'm going to read from the King James Version. I like the way it it puts it in the story. Let's start reading at verse number 9. And this is the story of Naaman, who I will try to tell his story in just a moment if you have not heard of him before. Verse number 9, so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go wash in Jordan seven times, seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, which is a fancy way of saying he was rather hacked off and angry. He was very, very angry, and he went away and he said, Behold, I thought... So let's say it in modern vernacular. Let's all say it together. But I thought. Smile at your neighbor and say, but I thought. Elisha will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and maha and recover the leper. I love that kind of church, don't you? The preacher doesn't even show up. Man, that gives me some ideas. Before you're seated, slap your neighbor and say, don't let your thoughts keep you from God's miracle. Yes, yes. So, we have a ton of first-time guests here today. I was astonished at how many of you there are. Thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, As a church, we're going to open our heart to you. And if you'll meet us halfway, then the Lord will knit us together in a a family of believers. We're glad you're here. All of us want to know how to receive God's blessing. Can I have agreement? Uh, I want God's blessing, and I know you do too. Uh, We want God's blessing because the Lord's blessing um, gives no sorrow. All the blessings of this world, it comes with, with good and bad. Uh, even if it is something you desperately want, uh, it will come with good and bad. You want a new car, you pray for the Lord to open up a door for you to get a new car, you get a new car, and then you discover it comes with a payment. And I hate it when things come with payments. <laughs> uh, but we want to be blessed, and the blessings of this life are, are complicated. They're not all, they're not all a simple and simply good. They're, they're complicated. You've all heard some type of a joke about a genie in a bottle who grants three whis- wishes and the guy is super excited because he gets wishes, but then he hasn't really thought it through. There's a lot of wishes that are ultimately troublesome. Uh, the, the legend of Midas who, who, well, actually it's a little more complicated than that. Midas was a king in the uh, Greek uh, history and was very wealthy and so that's where the Midas touch came from. There's another another story that's more of a legend story, and that's a man who made the request that everything he touched turned to gold. And it seemed like a great idea, and that first day must have been amazing. Uh, <laughs> everything turns to gold. And the problem is, is about the end of the day, he's very thirsty and he's very hungry, but he can't have any water because all the water turns to gold, and he can't have any food because all the food turns to gold. A lot of the blessings of this world, you, you have to think them through. Uh, the person will do anything to be famous, and then they become famous, and they'll do anything for some peace. Uh, 
and on and on it goes. The, the troubles related to what we think we know about what we want. You've probably heard this before. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. <laughs> we, we thought we wanted something that we, we didn't really want. Uh, we just wanted some element of it. And all of us want to be blessed. We all want to, to have that ability to have access to God. If you get in trouble, who are you going to call? It's not going to be Ghostbusters. <laughs> You're going to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, if you get sick in your body, I, I'm thankful for medicine. As a church, we, we have no enemies with medicine. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the uh, Father of lights. The point being that if we have knowledge, we didn't steal it from the throne room of God. It is a gift of God. He gave us the ability uh, to do that. That's why uh, we're not afraid of uh, having a doctor check something out. If it's a miracle, the doctor will agree it's a miracle. It will be obvious. And so we want we want want, we're thankful for that, but we know a doctor can't heal you. A doctor can only create conditions in your body where your body can heal itself. Do you see? You, the healing, it, the magical element of the biological being you are is God's creative gift. It is a work of God. And if your body won't heal itself by antibiotics, well, it won't really fix you in any regard. And so it is that we want to know that when we're sick, if we're sick, we want to go to God. If you've ever ever seen, had a loved one get sick, you know the tremendous weight. It's just, it's just, it's almost overbearing and you want so much to go into God's presence. You want to say, Lord, we have a need. I, I can't begin to tell you, Lord, how much I love this person. Uh, if you've ever had a child sick and you, you find yourself in the presence of the Lord and you're like, Lord, I, I cannot tell you how much, how much this child means to me. And I, if, 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 please just heal her already. I'm tired of waiting. <laughs> please, please just heal him already. We all of us want to know God's on our side. Can I have an amen? I want God to be on my side. And so uh, if, you, if you haven't the Lord on, on your side, none of the other things in your life will profit you much. The story of Naaman is the story of a, bear, a very uh, honorable and a very successful uh, general of the Syrian army. He has led the kingdom to victories. He has been given much honor and cred, so to speak, to use a modern word, <laughs> credulence by his king. And he, he has seemingly everything you could want. He has very high status. He has very much wealth. Um, he, he has a, a career uh, of meaning and something that gives him honor. And so... Here he is, but rich men get sick too. Powerful men get sick too. Illness humbles us all. And I just read last week where uh, one of our most famous billionaires in, billionaires in America uh, died of complications while, while being treated for a sickness. You wouldn't think someone who has that kind of a personal physician, who has nothing to do but check on him, the best of care, the best of everything. How could a billionaire get sick and die at the fairly young age of 65? That's, that's young. That's young. Maybe back, you know, in 1800s that wasn't young. But nowadays that's young, thank the Lord. And so uh, how does that happen? Here's a powerful man, a wealthy man, and, and he gets sick. And here's, here's Naaman. He has everything, and he's sick. And what do you do when you're, you're sick? Well, uh, you see if a doctor can help you. And if a doctor can't help you, you are left upon the mercies of the one who has it all in his hand. You are left to the grace and the miraculous gift of the one who created it all, who can fix, who can heal, who can restore. 
without a whole lot of struggle or effort, simply at the spoken word, healing can come. And Naaman, he's very sick, and his whole household is upset. Now, there is a young lady in his household who is a slave girl. I want to real quick show you the heart of this young girl. Uh, she had every reason to hate Naaman. Uh, she was the slave girl that was the result of cross-border raiding between the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria. She has every reason to hate him, uh, and yet she doesn't. Uh, she does not wish ill upon him, and she has every cause in the world. Back in this day, slavery was an institution. Now, thank God for progress in civil rights and the like. Now, uh, slavery is a crime. Then it was an institution. And so uh, she really is just a part of the grinding wills of society. Does not make it right. In fact, it makes it just as wrong as it ever was and ever will be. Uh, here she is, a young lady. Growing up, she thought she had a life ahead of, ahead of her, but slavery said, no, you don't have your life. Your life is for our life. She thought she had plans, but slavery says, no, your plans are of no importance. Uh, you're going to serve our plans. And rather than returning evil for evil, which is the temptation of all the human hearts, rather than returning hatred for evil, rather than than doing what was natural to the human heart. You see her beautiful spirit. And she said, oh, I wish that Naaman, uh, this man who really represents the highest figure in the geopolitical reality where I become a slave, this man, it would be easy to hate. He, he's sick. And I wish we were back in Israel. See, in Israel, uh, our, our God is powerful and he's mighty. And, and uh, if we just could take a man with Naaman's needs, a man sick to the prophet, to the house of God, that man could be made whole. That man could be healed there. And somehow in the gossip of the household, somehow one way or another, uh, it comes to Naaman's attention that there's this servant girl who has a testimony of God's ability to heal has a let me remind all of you you may not think much of your own status but if God wants to use you he can place you in the right spot you've got to be comfortable speaking faith are you hearing me today you have to be comfortable speaking victory you have to be comfortable saying God can and God will God can and God will you see, the whole nation of Syria is depending on her having a testimony. Oh, you didn't hear me or you'd be more excited about that. I want you to get this. The whole nation of Syria is depending on a slave girl to have a testimony. You never know how far your testimony is going to go. You never know how powerful your word of faith is going to go. It might be your testimony. Yeah, it might be your word of promise that changes everything. Oh, I wish he was at home in Israel because our God can heal. Leprosy's not too hard for our God. Cancer's not too great for our God. Our God is able. Is anybody hearing me? And so, here she is. Uh, man, if we were in Israel, get word gets back to him. Well, this requires some diplomatic, uh, how shall we say, some, some, some planning. And so he goes to the king. We hear there's a prophet in, in Israel. And the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel. And he says, look, this is my servant. Uh, I am going to try to 
I'm going to ask you to heal him. And he sends with them he, 10 talents of silver. A talent is a weight. It, it, it's a, like a measurement. And, and one talent is what a servant can carry. And so... Uh, uh, 10 talents of silver, uh, however much silver uh, 10 servants could carry, I believe 8,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of raiment. All of these are to be sent to the king, if the king can do it, if not to the king, to the prophet, you know, because preachers love their clothes. You know how preachers are. And so 10 new suits to preach for the next 10 10 weeks. Yes, Lord, thy servant heareth thee. And um, (laughs) And so they send it to the king. Well, the king of Israel, you can read the story. Uh, all this is chapter 5, 2 Kings. The king of Israel is terrified by this because uh, he doesn't know if it's a trap. <laughs> he says, he, first of all, he tears his clothes because why should he tear his why, I mean, why not? He's got 10 new pair, right? He tears his clothes and he's like, am I God that I can heal this man? He doesn't know if this is a trap. I mean, in geopolitics, war is typically started, read your history, about one nation pretending another nation has done them wrong, like when uh, Hitler wants to uh, invade Russia, he doesn't invade Russia, he says that the border guards, the Russian border guards, fired on uh, the, the, the Jewish, uh, not the Jewish, excuse me, the German uh, border guards, and he says that's why we're at war. You get the idea. The king of Israel, is this a trick? Is this a trap? And I can't, am I God? But the king has a servant. I guess the moral of this story is, uh, listen to your servants, maybe, I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> the king has a servant. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's send him to the man of God. There's kind of this division of uh, religious power. Now, it makes sense that the king of Syria would think that if anyone in in Israel has the power, that kind of power to heal the sick, that he would use that power to become the king. So he appeals not to the man of God. He appeals to the king. That is how the world views power, that you would use God's power to build your own kingdom. And so it makes sense to them. This is when they think about it. This is what you would do if you had the kind of power where you could heal the sick. You would become king of the land. But in Israel, the godly power of the prophet is separated from the civil authority of the king. As a church, we are very much for separation of church and state. We don't want people to be pretend Christians because of a law somebody passed. It's either in the heart or it's all fake, honey. And so uh, we don't want a law. We want it to be in the heart. And so you see this, this situation. The king's like, well, okay, let's send him to the prophet. So the whole, the whole caravan. Now, uh, this general is in his chariot. He's followed by all his horsemen. And he is, has this whole entourage of servants. It's almost as though he is a royal procession carrying, uh, what is it, 8,000 or 6,000 pieces of, of, of gold, 10 talents of silver, and 10 fine new Armani suits, which is the way uh, that you try to induce preachers to do something. So if you need something to do, just think Armani suit, you know, we'll, we'll do well. No, I'm just having fun. And so they take off to the prophet's house. Now, I want you to see how the world is thinking about how to get God to do something for them. The idea is let's bribe God. We'll send all this money. We'll send all this clothes. We'll send silver and gold. Let's bribe God. You see, this is a 
polytheistic view. You manipulate God. You try to get God to give you what you want by giving him what he wants. And you say, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. I know that's how people think. I know they think, Lord, if you'll just do this for me, then I'll do that for you. I want you to know you cannot bribe God. God does not need anything from us, but he wants to include us. And so this is the idea. They're thinking God is this and he'll do this and they're getting it wrong. And so then the next thing that happens here, not being unable to bribe God with money. And, I, you know, this past week with the, the largest lottery in history, there's been a lot of people trying to bribe God. And they've been praying prayers like this. They've been saying, Lord, if you will just let me win the lottery, I will give uh, 85% of it back to you. That was the first ticket. And then they buy another ticket. I'll give 86% of it back to you. Please, please. God. I can get along on 10% of uh, one and a half billion. I'm good with that, Lord Jesus. Oh, God. Uh, me and Nathan were cutting up. That would be Brother Nathan, not Pastor Nathan, just so no one's confused. We were cutting up Sunday about the whole lottery, and he was saying, uh, man, I think they bought a ticket down actually not too far from, from where I live. And he said, man, that just drives me crazy. And I told him, I was cutting up, I said, you and I are never going to win the lottery. You know why? Because we're God's men. And if we had that kind of money, we'd stop being God's men and become our own men. I told my wife this morning, I, I thought about entitling this message today, Why You Will Never Win the Lottery. <laughs> but, you know, reason prevailed. I want you to see, we do not manipulate God by bribing God. It's not about a bribe. It's about a redemption. The whole point of tithes and offerings is that your whole house is redeemed by the returning of the first fruit. I don't have time for that today. Anyway, moving along. And so the second thing they do is they go to to the house of the prophet and they have all this procession of status and you know Naaman is feeling like you know I'm surely going to get an audience with the man of God because in Naaman's mind follow this this is a little bit a little bit subtle but you guys are well able to understand what I'm trying to trying to expose here uh, he has met many so-called religious men Naaman is not an unreligious man he's just of the gods of Syria and he's met a lot of religious men and so he's feeling good about his procession. He's feeling good about his chariot. He's feeling good about all the horsemen. He's feeling good about the servants with gold and silver and the uh, clothes horses carrying all the horse, all the all the, the changes of raiment. And he is he is he's feeling good about this because in his world, you know, he thinks he knows how this thing works because his experience of men of God goes like this. They use God to get from me what I already have, which is wealth and status, authority and riches. So the so-called man of God likes men like me because they get from me what I already have, which is wealth, status, and riches. And so I'm going to come to the man of God and I'm going to offer him these things. He's going to come out and he's going to like me because I'm going to be like, you know, numero uno. I'm going to like really bless his ministry. We're totally going to build a whole new TV broadcasting station. We're going straight into televangelists. We're getting a private jet, the jet, the jet, $50 million church in SoCal, church in North Carolina. Bring it on, Lord Jesus. And it's how it's going to be. It's going to be awesome. 
And he gets there and the preacher won't even come out of the house. The preacher sends a servant to him and says to him, go dip seven times, even the prophet admits it, in muddy Jordan. Now, the Bible says that Naaman is very upset about this. Why? Because he thought he knew how it would go. He thought he knew what would move God. He thought he knew how to get God's attention. And the preacher won't even come out and greet him. How wooed. Why would you ever do that? Why would you treat somebody that way? It is awful. It is wooed. And so you left me out here by myself. You didn't even come see the procession. Here's the thing. There's some deep, deep lessons here. I don't have time for all of them, but let me just point this out, and I'm going to add this in for the same price as everything else, okay? It goes like this. Perhaps Elisha knows that when he comes out there, attention is going to be on him instead of God. And when the miracle is given, attention is going to be on Elisha and not the God of Israel. And he knows that they're doing everything they can to impress him, his flesh, because they think he has God in a hammerlock, and God has to do what he says. Here's the error of the flesh. He thinks, the flesh thinks God serves Elisha. Elisha wants to change their understanding and say, no, Elisha serves God. God does not serve Elisha. Do you see? Their thoughts are all in a twisted error. God doesn't serve Elisha. Elisha serves God. And this makes Naaman angry. He brought all his status out here. He brought all his chariots. He brought all his horsemen. And no one even responded to it. They didn't even show up in order to be impressed. John, run up here real quick. So um, I, I was inspired when Brother Foster was here. I was inspired to do more practical examples. Uh, and so I was looking around my house all week looking for uh, some kind of something I could do as a practical example. And uh, I do a little sport no one's ever heard of. And I competed and I, I've won some I've won some some medals. So uh, I, I'm going to uh, put on my medals here. OK, y'all ready for this? Get ready to be impressed. What? 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 How about them apples? Mm. Uh, mm, I just, I just want to say. Ow. How about them apples, baby girl? We love signs of status. We stink and love it. That's what Peter is worried about in the church. And he says, you guys don't run around acting like you're rich all the time. You know, we love it. I love it. You love it. Mm, quiet now. See how I kill the spirit. It's so awesome. We love signs of status. We do. But status is a two-edged sword. Yes, it is. So this is really, to be honest with you, this is a little pitiful collection of of, of, of medals here. So I called one of my best buddies who uh, does the, sim the same sport I do, and uh, I asked him if I could borrow some of his medals. The difference in me and him is <laughs> I'm not very good, and he is. And so <laughs> uh, he's a world champion, and I'm kind of a... <laughs> and so um, uh, I asked him if I could borrow some of his medals, and he had 23. I said five would be enough. So... Uh, John's going to help me, and he's going to put these mo these medals on his head. That's right, my brother. Oh, word. Mm. I have two, and he has five. You see what I'm saying there? Mm. Just kind of 
just, just kind of, mmm. Mmm. Here's the problem with medals, okay? I got two medals. Somebody say, yippee ki yay Thank you, two medals. Um, I can think that I am my medals, but I'm not. You can think you're your bank account. Honey, you ain't your bank account. That bank account be going like, can be going like that. I went to Geringer. Sometimes my English goes bad. I just want you to know that. Whenever talk to me about that business, I talk as bad as anybody. I went to Geringer High School. What? It's a miracle I survived. Didn't get killed in a drive-by. I am not my medals. You are not your medals. You are not the car you drive. You are not the house you live in. All of that can be burned up in a moment. But there's something even more than that. Just about the time I start getting happy with my medals. Mm. Hammer don't hurt them. Hammer don't hurt them. Do, 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 do. Do, do, Can't touch this. Do, 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 do. Do, do, do. Praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> Praise the Lord. What happened to doom, 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 can't touch this. Doom. What happened? My value went from here to here. All the status of this world can ultimately be a deception. All the things the world can do for you is ultimately a deception. Before God, we have no medals. I brought my chariots and I brought my horses and I brought gold and I brought silver and the Man of God won't even consider what I've done. I'm leaving. I'm taking my toys and going home. That's all I got to say about that. You can have this little sandbox. And he starts heading home. And he's offended by a couple things. First of all, God's not impressed with his status. God's not impressed with what he said he has done. God can give a flip about any of the stuff he thinks he has done. It is nothing, okay? Second of all, what's this business about Muddy Jordan? Let me give you a little example from this geography. So he was in Syria, and he had to come down to Israel, and he literally had to ride down on as the, the mountains that are from that uh, southwestern portion of Syria uh, down through what is today modern-day Lebanon. Uh, those are 10, the, the highest mountain there is 10,000 feet high. That's not Appalachian high mountains. That's Colorado high mountains. That's West Coast mountains. The highest mountains over here is like 5,000 feet. Uh, 10,000 is more western mountains. These are majestic mountains, snow-covered. And down from these mountains, when the snow melts, comes the clear crystal streams, beautiful and clean. And this man, this, 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 this esteemed general of Syria says, what do you mean? I drove, I rode by more impressive rivers than anything they have here in Israel. They have nothing to compare with what I rode by. I'm not going down to that. Here's the thing. We think God's impressed with what we're impressed by. 
We all of us have a tendency to have celebrity preachers and celebrity men and women of faith. And oh, I would be healed if Sister Bridget prayed for me because everybody knows Bridget's powerful. And I'd be healed if Sister Lisa prayed for me because everybody knows as long as Jeff has been orderly and good, obedient, then she's powerful. Oh, if Bishop could pray for me, I know his most Christian majesty would have to be the source of us. See, that was funny and nobody laughs. I can't help that they're not, you know. Anyway, if if, if, if Sister Bishop prayed for me, my God, heaven itself would bend right over and say, yes, ma'am, that's true. <laughs> Let me tell you something. God is not impressed with what we're impressed by. You would probably have better luck having a child pray for you than anybody else in the whole wide world. You find simple faith and it touches God. You find simple, sincere belief and it touches God. And so, I am not going to muddy Jordan when I have passed up more beautiful rivers than that. And again, remember the servants have an idea of how to save them from their own vanity. And the servants say to him, look, um, uh, your, your, honorable, your honorable general self, um, just, uh, you know, if, if they would have asked you to do something difficult, you would have been in. Why? Because then you can distinguish how good you are. You can earn it. See how high I can jump? See how fast I can run? I can earn. There is no earning God's favor. It's God's gift. Here he is, and he, he's riding back to Syria when one of the servants somehow breaks through his hard head. And literally what happens is a good example of repentance because he's riding one way and the river Jordan's the other way. He has to stop the procession. He have to, has to turn the chariot around. That's what repentance is. You turn it around. You've been doing wrong. Now you try to start doing right. You've been thinking evil. Now you start speaking faith. You see what I'm saying? He turns it around. He goes back to uh, this muddy river. And with a little bit of disgust, I'm sure, he goes out there and gets there and starts, uh, you know, he needs seven baths. Well, seven dips. Or seven baptisms, as it says in the Septuagint. Seven baptisms. And he begins to dip. And the Bible says, on the seventh dip, his flesh became like a child's flesh. He is, he is healed in this moment. Hear me today, my friend. All of us want blessings of God. All of us want anointing from God. All of us want to know that we have healing available to us. One of the great definitions of anxiety. We all sometimes struggle with anxiety. One of the great definitions is believing in a future without God in it. That's what anxiety ultimately is. Yes, trouble may come, but God's going to be there. Yes, we may get sick, but God's going to be there. If you can live that way, you cure yourself of anxiety. My goodness, I'm preaching here today. I want you to see we all of us want from God, but here is the reality. We do not serve, God does not serve us. We serve serve God. And you will do more with simple faith and calling upon his name and seeking his face and humbling yourself than you will ever do by trying to impress somebody. You might can impress me. I'm easy to impress. I haven't done much, haven't accomplished much, so I'm easy to 
impress. But God's not so easy to impress. In fact, our best efforts fail when we try to use them to please God. And here is where we must live as our musicians come. We have to understand that acceptance is more than obedience. Uh, I don't know how many parents we have here today. I'm a parent and I have kids. Most of you, many of you have kids or have had kids. Some of you guys have got all year grown up and out of the house. God bless you. Just trying to become you every day. Just kidding, just kidding. And you can, I can tell my son to do something and he will obey but he's got just a little bit of an attitude about it. It's like the little girl said, and they told her to sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Finally, they forced her to sit down, and she said, I just want all y'all to know I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) Come on, I'm preaching to somebody right there. I'm preaching to you. You have obeyed, but you're just a little bit plum angry about it. The plum is an important southern adjective. You are just a little bit angry, plumb angry, through and through. Yeah, you obeyed, but you did not accept. Nobody gets everything they want. It's not what you want and do not get that shapes your character. It's what you do with what you've got that shapes your character. Everybody wants what they don't have that does not make you special, that makes you a cliche, me too. But happiness is found in learning to want what you have. If you've got an old car, go wash it. mad at you, hadn't spoken to you in 24 hours, kiss her and tell her she's beautiful. I know you'll get punched, at least I will, but you should try it anyway. Happiness is a discipline whereby you want what you have. Because there is a power in acceptance that is greater than status. There is a power in simple faith that is greater than possessions. And there is a blessing in surrender that will never be found in ambition. I thank God for your ambition. That's not a bad thing. It is who you are. God has knit you in a a beautiful way. I'm thankful for that. But if your happiness depends on an outcome, you have set yourself up to play, to be a gambler with joy. How can we not be a gambler with joy? But rather than being a gambler, be an investor. Here's how you do it. Make your happiness process and not outcome. You can control your process. The happiest people I've ever met have been people who've learned how to love small things. And they want their coffee just right. And they want to sit down in the rocking chair just so. And then they want to tell you how good their coffee is. 
you ever known someone like that? It's a blessing to you because happiness becomes process and not outcome. But if you fall into the trap of this world and like name and you're like, God, if you'll give me the winning ticket, you know, I'll, I don't know, but we'll do something grand, the which thereof I haven't decided. And then I would be happy. No, 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 no. You want to get God's attention. Try simplicity. Try surrender. Try repentance. What in your life are you... I know some of the trials some of you guys have. Some of you guys are walking through some impressive valleys. I know. I'm impressed. You're going through some impressive valleys. I want to tell you here today, rather than just obedience, why don't you open your hands and not simply say, Lord, take away this cup, but say, Lord, if it would be your will, take away this cup. But I'm not just obedient. I'm not just being obedient here. I am accepting your way. I am accepting your will. Let me real quick, there's there's a power in confession. And as a, a pastor, as a minister, I, I like to, to show this as a way, first of all, to kind of be a check on myself and then to have you see that 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 effort to, to, to apply to myself, not just to you. So here it goes. As a pastor, it's very easy for me to get my ego mixed up in the work of God. All my church leaders, listen to me. It's very, very easy to get my ego mixed up in the work of God. And I'm happy if the church does great because then I'm a powerful man of God. Do you see? Ego mixed up with the work of God. It is something else to say, Lord, if you would like this desire of my heart to happen, I accept it. But if, in other words, if you would like me to dip in these beautiful crystal rivers that flow from the heights, that would be awesome. But Lord, if you want me to dip in muddy Jordan, I just want you to know I'm going to be in the Jordan River covered in red water, standing up to my ankles in muck, and I'm going to be dipping sand. Number one. Number two, I'm going to dip until the miracle comes. Let's all stand. Our prayer team's going to come down. God has great things for you. I don't mean that in the sense of our flesh. One of the biggest mistakes we make is when we hear the preacher say, God has great things. We think limousines and private jets. No. Those things don't build the kingdom. When I say great things, I want you to think people's lives touch. I want you to think broken hearts heal. I want you to think families and relationships restored. I want you to think joy unspeakable and full of joy. So I want to shock you here for a moment. I want to give you two pictures of you. Number one, you just got a big fat raise at work. And you're rich as a Lord. All right? That's one. The other one, you're in a trial of your life. But you are so immersed in hope. 
that you look the trial in the eye and say, look, there's no way that this can go wrong. God, God's got it all under control. My life might be a testimony. It might be an example. But whatever it is, it's a God thing. And I want to tell you of those two stories, when you hear the word great, you think the great version of the story is the one where you got a big fat check. So did Naaman. So did Elisha's servant. Didn't have time to preach that. But the great version of you was the version who could look at a troublesome circumstance and be so immersed in divine hope that your life testifies to the greatness of God. Do you see? Do you see? Your life testifies. It's not about you being great. It's about God being great. You know why you're dipping in the muddy Jordan River? Because it's not about the river. It's not about the preacher. It's not about me. It's about the God of Israel. Lord Jesus, I pray your blessing upon your people. I pray you would lead them and guide them and anoint them. I pray you would keep them. I pray you would give us maturity in the things we ask from you. I pray you would give us confidence in the middle of many troubles. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Very quickly, if you're new around here and you'd like to come get to know a little bit more about the ministry, get a little little bit more about the church, I teach a small group immediately after this service right across the parking lot called First Steps. We're on Lesson 2 today. You can start at any time. You don't have to wait for Lesson Number 1. But if you'd like to get to know us a little bit better, come. I'd love to host you. We feed you good food. That means I didn't cook it. It's very good food. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.